Welcome to History Today. We're going to look back a thousand years ago to the year 2020, when the great COVID-19 pandemic caused a great global calamity. An unknown side effect of the pandemic was the release of a small podcast with a global reach. It had listeners in France, Sweden, Ireland and across Europe. In the USA, Brazil, Canada and across the entire American continent. Even in the fabled southern continent was a fabled loyal fanbase. All listening, all curious and all ready for the next dance, the next song, the next moment of self-expression. Of course, history has taught us that the far greater risk to humanity than the viral pandemic was the mental health pandemic. The pattern of thought transmitted through a mainstream culture which told you you were never enough. That your worth was only a worth of wealth. Your need could only be expressed as capital and your values were economic. This story was not your friend and even as it sought to commodify the very sky beneath we dwelled, the mysterious healing forces that speak in all tongues were being heard. The knowledge of a universe so vast that its roar was louder than a thousand years and its complexity of interconnection was woven so miraculously that all energy was sacred and no single thread was of any more worth or importance than any other. So it began, every smile shared, every tree planted, every journey made by foot or bike, humanity was once more a shared condition, not just by the humans, but by a connection to the all. Welcome to episode 18 of the F23 podcast, and I, Jamie Dodds, am your host, riding this cosmic roller coaster and trying to share what I see, what I feel, what I think and experience. Scream if you want to go faster! Ah! But do not be afraid, dear listener, as we lurch from this lazy metaphor to a truly amazing guest, performer, actor and artist, Oliver Senton. Oliver has appeared in a vast array of productions, including The Warp, a 24-hour long play, and The Cosmic Trigger Play, the autobiography of Robert Anton Wilson's life. And it was a great pleasure and an honour to spend an hour in his company and hear about his experiences and his love for demanding art. He blows my mind here just right. And what I'm left wondering, is the only certainty uncertainty? He has an amazing mind, and I really hope you enjoy spending an hour with him as much as I did. So take your power, your inner strength and raw emotion. Transform your head into that of a lion. And roar across the cosmos and the jungle in welcome, in the pure delight that is... Oliver Senton. Inquire within, inquire within. You never know what you may find. Unscrew the inscrutable, think the unthinkable, dive down to the roots of your mind. Inquire within. 
you've seen. Use your perception to answer the question, who is the master who makes the grass green? Inquire within. All right, well, we're recording. Good morning, Oliver. It's wonderful to see you. Thank you for finding the time. You're welcome. It's lovely to see you too. Excellent stuff. And then... Um, how how are things with with you lot over lockdown? You doing okay down in Kent? Uh, down in Kent, we're we're fine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it all seems like such a massive chunk of time now, doesn't it? You know, I mean, it, it, are we still in lockdown? Are we? What is that? It's it's weird. Um, lockdown itself, I quite I have to say, I quite liked. I was very fortunate. Touch wood. I was away from any unpleasantness so I was very very lucky and I quite enjoyed the challenge of homeschooling my little boy I have a 10 year old boy who's right. nine then he's 10 now and that was good that kind of gave me structure you know yeah through till through till he broke up and then and then the summer got a bit kind of bit whoa I, I, I didn't know what I was for in the summer because yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of work yeah so I was floating about a bit and my my sense of purpose has just started to come back with the turn of the seasons <laughs> yeah well i mean like lockdown gave me like i've got twin boys they're just they're just two years old they turned they turned two in yeah. august so lockdown gave me the chance to spend a lot of time a, a lot of time with them um which, yeah. which which is which has been um re really nice and we live somewhere rural as well so it's so it's kind of easy we can go places very easily yeah on, on a whim <laughs> even and you know and and not be breaking sort of like rule, rules and and and, and all of that kind of thing and We've the, got... same, the same here, I mean, because, you know, when we just by the we're like 10 minutes from the beach, you know, and the cliffs and so on. So that's very, very easy. So actually, my, my son and I played an entire World Cup um, from from selection to, to third place playoff. Only five minutes each way, each match, but we still played all 60 or 70 matches. And you'll be glad to hear that Bhutan won. It's about time. Yay, Bhutan. Yeah, Bhutan won the 2020 World Cup. <laughs> Their the light's been hidden under a bushel for so long. Oh, really, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice one, Oliver. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, like, uh, like um, I've, I sort of invited you on the show because, you know, you know, you, well, you sent me a very pleasant email sort of like saying how much you've been enjoying listening to some of the conversations I've been having. Yeah. And having sort of like um, see, seen you perform a bit myself, I was like, oh, well, not only is it nice to receive a, a, a compliment, um, but this is also an, this is also an opportunity if um, if Oliver's initiating a conversation, I'll see if um, I'll, I'll see if he fancies um, sh you know being being one of my guests. And so thank you. Sure. And oh. so and so like oh. I've I've seen you on stage, um, the, like and and the first time were well both times was was performing in the Cosmic Trigger play. Um, and the first time being in Liverpool um, at, at its launch at the Find the Others Festival, yeah. And and for me, like like what I'm what I'm what I'm interested in beginning our chat is like is knowing like sort of when did you know that you wanted to be an actor? That's what I'd like to what I'd like to start. Yeah, it, it, that I, it's a very hard question to answer without sounding incredibly pretentious. Yeah, you know. Um, because I, I I do view it for me as a vocation rather than a choice. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not sure I ever had a point where I wanted to be one, but that I knew I had to be one. Yeah. You know? um, and that came quite early at school. I was I was I was a bit of a pain in the ass as a child. I think I thought I knew everything. I was very precocious, and then 
I needed to find something that took up all my energy, you know. Now, that happened to be uh, drama. I had, I had great great English teachers who put me in plays, and once I started doing that, I, I loved it. Um, but before that, my parents kind of would sometimes not take me to the theatre because I would never sit still. I was very fidgety. Yeah. I couldn't concentrate. Yeah. And it was only when I started going backstage and started to understand how the whole mechanics of the plays work, backstage and front stage, that I was like, oh, this is... This is fascinating. This is this is for me, you know, and that then took up my energy. It was a big enough challenge to take up my energy. I, I sometimes think that that it could have been if I'd had another brilliant teacher, it might have been something else. It might have been the violin or computers or fine art or something else. But it happened that the teachers I had put me in plays, stretched me, and that was the thing that, for the first time in my life, really focused me as a as a child when I was twelve. Yeah. And then I knew that's what I had to do. Wow! Yeah, yeah. And then, and that's kind of, in a way that's kind of that's that's kind of that's kind of fortunate, you know. I mean, like you know, I mean, I'm in my forties now, and like you know, friends of mine still don't know what their what what, what their vocation is, you know. Like and and yeah, yeah. and like and and to be able to sort of like um for it for it to be revealed um um like like that in in some sense is kind of fortunate, although like you know. May, 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 you know, maybe it's a curse as well. Like, like, why did it have to be acting? <laughs> well, it's funny. Two, th- two things related to that. One is, yes, you're absolutely right. It is, it is a blessing. And I remember being, uh, when I was at uni, I went to university in York, although I didn't finish. I ran away to go to drama school, so I never got a degree. I, <laughs> I was happy. Um, but I was in York and my sister came to visit me and she, she was one, she was somebody who said to me, you've got to realise how lucky you are to have a sense so young of what you want to do. You know, yeah. but on the on the flip side of that, I remember my last my like my A level English teacher, Baz Edwards, rest in peace. Who was a great man, great great educator in the sense that he, as well as doing English, he taught us about Russian icons and and impression and, and uh, new wave cinema in France and all kinds of other stuff as well. I remember not long before he died, him saying, "I'm really sorry." I, I feel terribly guilty that I got you involved in this incredibly precarious, <laughs> risky, over-competitive uh, profession. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He, he clearly felt guilt about that. <laughs> well, it's interesting because a very, um, a very, a very dedicated, a very, um, a very amazing educator with a drama background, a lady called Jenny Lingham, who, um, who, who was, um, who lives, who lives in the northeast of England where I grew. She had a very profound, like her drama course had a very profound effect on me. And like um, my my chosen yeah. career was like youth work, working with how to engage teenagers and young people. And yeah. now, now I train people, like that's my bread and butter, on how how to use a sort of like um, a relationship focused sort of like ra- radical approach to sort of like bu- building a, a community and a, an environment for education. But it's all found, it's all founded on the way. I, I didn't enjoy school and I didn't fit in particularly well. So I was, maybe yeah. I was a bit of a naughty teenager myself. But when I went into when I went into Jenny's drama classes and we stood in circles and there was no tables and chairs and she handed responsibility for leading warm ups over to us and things like that. So I never so I never pursued the art side of it as much as much as much as I've always been an art a sort of hobbyist in it. It's never been like yeah. I've never pursued it as a profession. But the model of education, that approach, that yeah. radical thinking that we can do this in a, like, you know, do this in a very different way, I suppose, facilitation rather than sort of, yeah. you know, is, is what I describe. And, and so I lifted that learning, that learning experience that I'd found in that creative arts. And like, a, and it's, yeah. it's been the found, foundation of, of, of like a, a, a career for me, too. And there's, there's something. Absolutely. Up- well, it's like, it's like, the, you know, um, 
one of the great sort of our great, our great edu- educators said, you know, every every child should do dance for one hour every day. Every mm-hmm. child should do it, you know, because things like your know, dance or drama, um, the reason they are being sidelined and pushed out so much is because they're one of the few subjects remaining in which children are encouraged to think independently and encourage their critical faculties. Yeah. You know? I don't think that's a co- I don't think it's planned particularly, but the agenda of education is such that we want to or they want to produce people for employability. Yes. Right? That's kind of the number one criterion. In which case you don't want people who are being incredibly creative and thinking outside the box and doing their own thing because they're just going to cause problems, right? Yeah. So there's no there's no coincidence there really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, and and the yeah the merit of of some of the, some of the less mainstream subjects, yeah, drama, dance, music, etc. These arts in general, like um, yeah. get and get 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 sidelined. But look, the next question I've got is that like um, along with a few of the guests I've had um so yeah. so far over the podcast, you were you were involved in a play called The War. Which was a, yeah. a, a, a a twenty four a twenty four hour play and I um, and I guess it was sort of like the le- the the late nineties when that was happening. So can you tell me a bit about how you became involved in such a sort of like um such a sort of like you know just the very thought of it a twenty four hour play like you, <laughs> like you know some 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 something okay. so, so out there and and demanding as that and 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 what you sort of learned what you what 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 you took away from being part of part of a cast wow. doing working on something like that well it changed my life forever really um yeah okay well let, let me maybe give listeners a context just in case they don't know how this starts the warp was first written and produced in the late 70s by a man called neil Oram, who's still alive and well on the banks of loch ness where he lives and has lived for ooh, 40 years now i think i'm um, getting paid by the scottish government not to cut down trees Nice. Um, amazing guy, amazing sort of raconteur, incredible photographic memory. And um, he got uh, linked up with Ken Campbell, um, who, and he had a bunch of plays uh, which he wanted to be produced. But what Ken was more interested in is he said the amazing stories about Neil's own life, because Neil had been born as his father, sort of callow young man in Devon. He'd come up to London in the 50s and he'd experienced the beginning of our, the British beat scene which is something that not many people have written about. Not the American scene, but our kind of pre-hippie, pre-psychedelic scene, wow. right? The Hyde Park Corner speakers, um, uh, early early experiments with, with amphetamines when they used to use the old wadding in the nostraline inhalers as a kind of crude amphetamine, and, <laughs> and the beats and the jazz and coffee shop scene and all of that stuff in London, pre-60s, you know? Yeah. So you got thrown into that, and... I mean, I could tell that story, but then so what? What Ken basically said was, oh, I, "I think your life is is kind of better than what you've shown me." So Neil then went away and, and uh, produced the Warp, which was this ten play cycle, right? So it was originally it was ten separate plays, and that went on at the ICA on the Mall, which was then I mean, it always was, but then was particularly really cutting edge venue, and um, it went on there in t- in two play chunks for a while, and then, and then they ran it all together, and it was the actors themselves in 1978 who said, yeah, we should do the whole thing, let's just do the whole thing. Right. And there it, spans, it spans 22 years of history from 1956 to 1978, all about kind of British counterculture, Krishnamurti, Buckminster Fuller, the first UFO conference in Ireland in Lusty Beg, 
astral planing, all of this kind of stuff, but all set in Britain. This is like the, the unique thing about yeah, it, I think. Yeah. They put it over the ICA and they did it in 24 hours and it was the actors who said, yeah, well, that's the way we want to do it. Wow. That's the way it works. <laughs> yeah. um, so that then went on till 1980. I'm going to try and keep this relatively short, but that original production went on till 1980 Yeah, and finished in, in Liverpool, in fact, of course, its last showing was as a weekly soap. They, they came out of the 24-hour thing, which they'd done in London and Edinburgh and Hebden Bridge. Right. And they came back because Ken was briefly the artistic director of The Everyman in 80 to 81, I think. Right. Lots of, lots of great stuff in their anniversary book they made five years ago. And um, they put it on as a weekly, uh, weekly soap, and that was the last time it was done, 1980. And then in 1997, Ken was doing a one-man show at the National, and an actor called Alan Cox came to see uh, this play. And in, in that play, in the trilogy, the Furtive Nudist trilogy, which is a, a trilogy of one-man plays by Ken, it says, if you, it mentions the warp, right? It yeah. mentions the warp. Much as, tangentially, Charlie Kaufman has name-dropped the warp in his new novel, Ant Kind, really right. enough. Right? So we can come back to that. Um, and it says, if you're interested, then contact Neil Oram at such-and-such such in Scotland. And so Alan called him up, right? And no one had ever actually done this. No one had ever actually <laughs> taken the invitation to do it. So straight away, Neil was on the phone to Ken, saying, oh, I've heard from this young actor. And Helen was oh, OK, I know who he is. I'll give him a call. Gives him a call, says, would you want to do it? And Alan says, yeah, OK. This huge thing, which is five and a half times the length of Hamlet. <laughs> so they end up doing it for one, uh, depending on your point of view, absolutely magnificently failing or disastrous performance at Three Mills Island. Uh, which was then kind of semi-derelict. Now it's where they shoot MasterChef. Right. Um, so this went on. And it, it lasted about 30 hours because people were forgetting lines and they were being pummeled. It was like a, like a boxing match. It was like a sporting event. Yeah. Yeah? So that happened. And that was enough for Alan. He was like, I can't go through that again. And that was the point at which my dad, who'd been at school with Ken, got back in touch with Ken. It was, it was my dad's 60th birthday. And he went to see another one-man show of Ken's at the National. Yeah. And as, the, as they do, the dads talked about their kids. So Ken spoke about Daisy Campbell, and my dad spoke about me. And the next day I had a call from my parents going, we, we've, we met Ken Campbell last night, and uh, we said you'd meet him for a drink. You know, my heart sank, because not knowing Ken at all, I was like, oh, this is terrible. We'll have to have this polite drink, which neither of us is really interested in. Make, you know what I mean? And then go our separate ways. Of course, of yeah, course, when that. parents do things like that, you know... Yeah, ninety percent oh, of the really? time. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, they've got they've but got a child your age. You you can play and get on with each other. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's like, go and do that. Go and meet that person. <laughs> so, but of course, it wasn't like that with Ken at all. I rang him up and he said, he said, uh, he said, yeah, I've got something for you. So, uh, come and come and meet me. And I'm at the, at the time he was rehearsing with the Lambda students, the drama school Lambda. He was first rehearsing the very first version of his Pigeon Macbeth with them. This was Macbeth in Pigeon English, which was his millennial project. Yeah. And he did that. And I turned up to him and he gave me a shopping trolley, because this is 1999, I think. 1998, So we're pre-internet, right? We're pre-word processors, just about. Yeah. So he gave me 10 files, 10 binder folders, A4 folders with the scripts, and a stack of VHSs of the film version of the original production, right? He said, go and watch that. 
if you like it, learn it. And if you learn it, you'll get to do it. Wow. Right? <laughs> so I think his deal was, because in the original, the, the original uh, revival, they'd kind of... They'd kind of done it in quite a strange way, and people hadn't remembered their lines properly. It's like, right, what I've got to do is I've got to get someone to learn the role of Phil Masters, which is the central role, and if they know their part in advance, then we'll put everything else around them, right? Yeah. So I went away, and I was on tour with an Akebourne comedy over Christmas. Yeah. And I learnt it. Over about six weeks, I learnt it. And the late John Joyce, lovely actor, very good friend of Ken's, came and tested me in my house. I was in, living in London by then. And he came and tested me over two days, and I will love him forever for this. He rang up Ken after two days, and he rang up Ken, and he said, well, he knows it. He knows it, Ken. And Ken said, is he any good, though, John? <laughs> and John said, I didn't know that was part of the deal, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that was the start of it. So wow. we started, and, uh, and then what happened was, I think, unlike the three mills, Daisy was really in charge with the nuts and bolts of directing. Right. Ken was kind of around, smoking his cheroots, and he'd kind of introduce the performances and look after a crisis here and there. But Daisy was doing the legwork at the tender age of whatever she was there, 19, 20? Wow, yeah. Uh, you know, because this is a while ago. So that was that's the short version of how it started. What was the next part of your question? So what did you what did you learn? What did you what did you take away from the experience of being in that production? Because like I mean, you know, I've encountered like a hand a handful a handful of people like as a as a consequence of sort of like going yeah. to the going going to see the Cosmic Trigger play and then sort of like yeah. putting on the F twenty three festival and sort of this this sort of like building of tr this sense of tribe and the sense of community and, and there's a handful of very wonderful, very inspirational people whose lives yeah. are very you know like like from Daisy to Lisa, have very irrevocably been sort of like touched and changed by this experience in the warp, and kind of separate to that, right? Um, mm. When I when I when I the best yoga teacher I ever had was when I was living in Leeds, okay, and 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 and, and you know, and it's not that I haven't had other good yoga teachers, but the one that I really felt a connection with was somebody called Leia yeah. Horvatic, okay, and like yeah. and at the start of lockdown. I was like, like, like I moved away. I moved away from Leeds a few years ago and li li live in rural Yorkshire. Now I moved out of the city, and I've never yeah. been able to find a replacement yoga teacher. So at the start of lockdown, I got this email from her that she was now doing Zoom yoga classes. So I was like, yes, I can do like I can do like yoga. My favorite yoga teacher. Okay, and right okay. in my very first session, it was just like she was she was she was brilliant whatever it is about her that's brilliant it was there for me straight away and i was like this is why lay is my favorite right, teacher right. and i was chatting to her about the podcast and and, and then it came up the daisy was my first guest and and he was another person Leia had been part of the warp cast so anyway so, yeah. I, so i'm kind of it's a massive so so there's these people around me that who who have had this who were part of this experience and it's had and and it, and it, i'm aware from all of them that it's had this profound effect so it'd be great It'd be yeah. great, Oliver. That's it'd be great to hear from you what it is you sort of learned. You said it, you know, you said right off at the bat there it was life changing. So, so talk a bit. Yeah, about it was. That. It was several things. Several things. Um, one is it was a massive lesson for my ego. Yeah. Because I I took I took it on. I tell, kid you not. I was how old was I then? I would have been about twenty seven. Yeah. I took it on because I was the, the vanity of the young man in me was going. This is it. This is the one that's going to make me. Right? Yeah, I mean, right. this is so huge, no one can miss it, right? Yeah. 
And what I learned was that was wrong because the fact is that in the market, the industry that I work in, if it's too extreme, if it's too odd, doesn't matter how courageous or noble it is, then people will be wary of it and stay away. Yeah, right. Right? And the warp is an extraordinary, sprawling, unruly beast. You know, yeah. one time when they asked Ken if he would do it at the National Theatre, they figured out that to do it for a month at the Cottesloe, because it runs around the clock, would cost them their entire annual running budget. Right. You know? Yeah. So this thing can't be put on, you know, in any subsidised or financially viable way. So that was a massive lesson to go, big isn't necessarily best. Yeah. Big isn't necessarily, you know... Also, it introduced me to uh, a, a tribe, yes, that I'm very, very much part of, because that, that, that production back then, if there's ever another one, we still had a lot of people from the original production as well, some who you'll know, like uh, Mitch, and I don't know if you know, like Maya Sendall, uh, Bunny Reed, Claudia, of course, yeah. you've all been in that original production. Um, Irving... Bless him. I, I, I'm not sure Mervyn was involved in the original production, but he was a long, an old friend of Ken's, obviously. So all of those people were kind of first generationers. Yeah. <clears throat> and indeed, Daisy, Daisy herself was in it as a as a baby, and I held Dixie was a baby, and later my daughter in that show. So the, all the well, she was my baby in that one, and then daughter in Cosmic Trigger. So it all goes on. So I, I was put in the centre of this extraordinary group of people, which has made me. You know, it's just changed, it's changed everything. But when you play Phil in the play, it's not quite the same as playing the more kind of colourful character parts around the edge of it, because you, you're very much the still point of the hurricane. Yeah. You know? So there's all the stuff going around you. Because when, when you do the play for over 24 hours, Phil is never off stage. I think he's off stage for five scenes in the whole thing, right? Wow. So when we were doing it at um, what was known as the Millennium Drome, which was a rave venue under London Bridge in 1999, <laughs> it was a car park Monday to Friday and then a rave venue at the weekends, right? So when we did it there, we did, a month, we did it monthly, there were hot tubs and exhibitions and food stalls and tantric sex and all kinds of stuff going on. But I didn't, I didn't get to experience any of that because I was on stage nonstop. Wow. See what I mean? Yeah. So you're kind of like this still point in the middle of it and there were extraordinary things that happened in that run. You know, the nudies came in and pregnant nude women were expectorating their milk over the audience and <laughs> Judd Charlton eating live maggots for his breakfast and painting with his hair. And I mean, it's amazing stuff. But if it wasn't happening on stage, I didn't see it. Yeah. So, so the people that I know from the warp are from the play. Do you yeah. understand? Rather than the, the broader tribe which is out there. Um, so that's a particular experience. And the last thing, perhaps unexpected, that I'll say took the lesson I learned morally from it, and I think it did there in the play, is that love is hard work. Wow. It took me back really clearly. It took me back to the Gospels in a really clear way, actually. I was brought up in a sort of standard middle-class Anglican household, yeah. and I drifted away from that. But that idea of love as work, right. which I think is very central to the proper hippie ethos, Love isn't floaty or, you know, that's all marketing bullshit. Love is work. Yeah. You know, that, that was a real lesson that came through the, the play. So that's those, those three things, I'd say, are the main takeaways for me. Wow, yeah. Which yeah. Continue, to continue to resonate, as I say. It's, it was a permanent change. And, like, I, su I suppose the message we, we might get from a, from a, more, a more mainstream tale about love is that, yeah. is 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 that well is is 
the the love might be work when you're trying to sort of like kickstart the romance, come together, get together. But once yeah. once you get over that hump and or, or or the humps in the way that prevent that, you know, you hold hands, you walk down the beach into the sunset, the ukulele start playing, and that's it. You know, you're together. So and 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 and. and, and and, li- yeah. and happily ever after, and you know, but well, but I guess what you're saying is that, like, you know, love is a ve- love, 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 love is love is very com- love is a lot more complicated. It's something we oft, you know, we have to revisit yeah. and work at and reflect on and 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 and, re- and, re- and revise. Yeah, no, absolutely, because you know, the, the the Phil, the central character in the warp, is kind of fascinating and lovely. Well, not lovely, but interesting because. He's a man with many, he's probably many faults, as all the good dramatic characters are, but it's essentially a play about a man who wants to make a breakthrough, but ultimately is too, um, too vain to do that, too self-obsessed to actually make a breakthrough. He tries, and again he'll have a moment of illumination, but he, he, it keeps on coming back to him. He mm. can't let go of his ego at the end of the day. Yeah. You know? And and that's the beauty of it. I think that's the reason it, it's really powerful as a piece of drama is there's no easy solution. He's trying. He's trying, but he never quite makes it. Yeah. You know? That's what, that's what makes it interesting. Sounds unnervingly familiar. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. And, you know, absolutely. And I think you know, there are lots of Neil's own struggles in there. I mean, Neil has said many times that, you know, that it's all a fiction. But I think anything that where you're, you know, you're writing something that long and that rooted in your personal experience is bound to, you know, exhibit something of yourself as well. Yeah. He's a noble character. He's a noble character, but he never quite gets to enlightenment, I don't think, Phil. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, yeah, and I guess, like you say, you know, doing something like that, a part part of you has to come out. You have to connect to... Yeah. to, To, you know, the... The, the the feelings that the the that are dri- that are driving you to be you know the 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 motivate and inspire you to be a better person or to yeah. un- understand the purpose of it all and those kinds of questions yeah that- and that that goes for the actor as well I remember when I was doing the show the first run of it in Deptford the Albany Theatre in Deptford where we did the first five or six shows. Um, being you know struggling through it and sleep deprivation and memorization and all that stuff yeah. and Ken coming up to me about halfway through one show and saying you're doing really well but all you've got to do now is stop acting <laughs> and in, you know in the moment I just wanted to punch him really yeah because just just getting through it was enough but he was of course as he usually was absolutely right yeah because at that level You've, you've, it's about being. I mean, that's again. These things can sound very pretentious. Yeah. But you are there, as I say, to to hold it, the thing together. So you've got to you've got to sit there, slightly Buddha-like, and hold it together. It's not about acting. Brilliant. You know. And that was that was a massive massive lesson for me too. Really. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> well, well so, so I think that I think that idea of of sort of like being in a position where. You, you know where you ha- where you transcend what you're trying, whether it's acting or what or, or what other what other role or label like and and, and 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 being instead you just have to you just have to be you just have to respond. I mean like and I can relate to that. Like I have moments in 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 my life where that where that happens. So I'm so I'm kind of wondering like you know you often do these very bold and demanding performances, 
<laughs> yeah, that's kind yeah. of it's kind of like it seems like the warp gave you a thirst for that. So what encourages you to do that? What is it that makes you want to persevere? What 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 do you find within yourself for, by 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 immersing in, in art of that nature? I, I've never quite located where it's where it is rooted in myself, but it, it certainly doesn't didn't start with the warp. I mean, before that, I'd done I, when I came out of drama school, I was yeah. you know training in different disciplines, and I did uh, sort of alternative performance art with Annie Griffin, a piece called How to Act Better, and I formed a trio with a cellist and a percussionist called Irakim, and we did kind of spoken word gigs sort of gig theater before it was called that and and I, i've always been interested in going what can you do that's not really classifiable right you know and being aware of the fact that what really upsets people is not content it's form right. when people see something and they don't know what it is that's much more upsetting than it might be filled with rape and swearing <laughs> the thing that really upsets people is what it, i can't put that in a classification that's a fundamentally yeah. more upsetting thing i think I, so i've I, I, even before the warp i've always liked to do something where my starting point is i have no idea how to do this yeah you know yeah and i've done that in yeah so the, the warp started with that and then obviously cosmic trigger was another one and uh, the, the 50 hour non-stop improvised shows that i've done as part of my improvisation strand and also my work with um slung low i mean you, you're a leads leads Leeds guy, or you yeah. were based in Leeds. You're from Sheffield originally, aren't you? I'm not. No, I'm. I'm from the northeast of England. Um, and oh. and so when we started Festival Twenty Three, it was yeah. a, um, I got linked up with, with, with like Michelle Ollie, who was a previous podcast guest. Who was part. You must know Michelle Ollie. She was part of the Cosmic of course, Trigger. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I met, I met her. At, at at Liverpool at the find the others at the the first ever performance of it and she we were just chatting yeah. and I'd been telling her because I I just been doing some work helping um sort of like a the hip hop artists of Leeds sort of formalise get some arts funding put on some events right. and that kind of thing and so she and and like and we just got chatting and told about that and so she took my name because she thought oh this this guy like you know we ex and we exchange contact details and so when the people from Sheffield said hey we're looking to do this festival. She put them in touch with me because she was like, "Oh well," I see. and I was living in I was living in Hebden Bridge at the time, so yeah, and so that was the, that that was the early days of of of, of sort of of sort of festival festival twenty three, and when we when, okay. we when we had our first meeting, there was just there was a small handful of us from the north, but it spiraled out, and we people like Myra and Ben and Megan, the people from Brighton, sort of joined yeah. joined only a couple of short months later, sort of thing. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So so no, I'm I'm. I'm I'm not a I'm 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 not a Sheffield. You're person. not Sheffield. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I mean, because the work with Slung Low has been Leeds and Sheffield, and, and mostly over the, the north of England because they're a northern-based uh, group. So we did uh, a show called The White Whale, which was Moby Dick on water in Leeds Canal. Brilliant. Uh, and uh, a, a huge one-night adaptation of The Count of Monte Cristo at the West Yorkshire Playhouse, and but, all, but mostly work outside. Yeah. We did a big show in Sheffield, which was a new version of the Arthurian myth, which ended Brilliant. up in a full-pitched battle at the Tudor Gardens outside the town hall. We like like and then Flood in Hull, which was the culmination, 2017, which was a show that happened over the whole year. Two live parts, <laughs> one on telly and one as a short film, but which was all one epic piece about a, a near future where Hull becomes flooded and uh, there are refugees coming in, but if, but now they're just coming from Holland and stuff, so they're white. Is yeah. that any different, or should it be, and why is it? But that was set against a sort of epic backdrop. So these huge 
new writing outdoor pieces as well, which are incredibly um, ambitious. So I, ha I have always been drawn to that. I think also when you're a working actor and you've done, I don't know how many plays I've done, scores now, someone comes in and you're like, why do I need to do this? Yeah. You know, is it worth it? I d does the world need another production of, you know, that Terence Rattigan or that John Osborne or... Yeah. Really? You know, not that I'm against, you know, revivals at all, but is it being done for a really good reason? Do we need this show now? Is it going to add to the sum of human knowledge? Is it going to excite people? Is it going to be like nothing else they've seen? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. then take on the stuff that you think answers those questions in the, in the affirmative. <laughs> and it takes us to that brilliant idea that there'll be people in the audience who can't handle this because none of my existing labels, none of my existing... Oh God! Yeah, pre-existing concepts uh, function anymore, and like, and that's and that's kind of like, that's an interesting experience for a mind because like, because like, well, you know, if if you know when you enter that kind when you enter that kind of mind when you enter that kind of mind state, it becomes possible to to change the way you think about things, to change the way you feel, you know, you, you understand, yeah. you understand the world. Like, you know, when you, when you, if you can lead somebody to a, to a new territory, a place where the usual rules are no longer, no longer quite work and no longer quite yeah. fitting. Like, um, like, uh, what, what that, you know, what that, that, that does provide an opportunity for a person if they don't freak out and run a mile and go, ah, this is, this is, um, obscene and blasphemous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the reaction is, oh, this is revelatory and like, um, and, 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 and it, it's it's yeah. and it's it it's enhanced my little map of of my understanding of reality, my, like my my understanding of the imagination, my understanding of 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 what it means to be human, that, right? Absolutely, but that's also where the form and content things comes back in because if something is could be deemed blasphemous, yeah, right, well that's a very clear kind of button to someone to go, no, I don't like that. That's wrong. Yeah, so they switch off. Whereas if something is formally challenging. Um, for, to, to give you an example, when, when we were doing Cosmic Trick, which was a great reminder of, of this, I want, to, I want to come back to that, Good. is that um, so, someone I'd invited along, who I knew was quite straight, yeah. said, I want to come see you in this play, you know, because I hadn't been in London for a while. And I was like, it might not be, it might not be for you. Yeah, you know, I think you know, don't, don't well, there'll be another one. So like, no, no, it'll be good for me. They said it'll be good for me. Right. They came along. They came along and watched the whole thing, you know. Yeah. And I spoke to them the next day, and for the only time. I, in my life, I'd ever spoken to this person. Um, they were speechless. Wow. They were they were confused. They didn't know how to explain what they'd seen. They certainly didn't know how to describe it or quantify it. And yet, they also couldn't say "well done." So they were offended on some level, confused certainly. Yeah. But they had no way of locating where that lay within them. They couldn't vocalize it. Yeah. You know. Alternative also with that show, because I think it was a real reminder for me, one of the most important things about Cosmic Trigger was that it was a reminder of the fact that theatre is a transformative form. Yeah. You know, in its roots is a fundamental tool for change, psychological, spiritual change. Yeah. Doesn't mean it will affect everyone in that way, but there were certainly people, other people who came to see that show whose lives were changed by it. I think we can, I think I can say that, you know, who were deeply affected by it. Yeah. And it made them think newly. It, it, it changed relationships. It started relationships. It ended relationships. <laughs> um, you know, it really uh, affect, affected people. So 
that was a great example of what drama can achieve. Whereas for the most part, not there are other there are other examples of this. For the most part, we've forgotten the transformative aspect of drama. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you're talking to one of them. You're talking to somebody, especially the first, you know, especially the first one in Liverpool, who had a transformative experience, like whose life, whose life was 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 transformed, and like by and large, like um, far much for the better. But you know, by by virtue of what you um, amazing people like were, were capable of doing with with yeah. the telling of that story, you know. Um, and so, yeah, since we're talking about Cosmic Trigger, you know, you played Robert Anton Wilson um, mm. and, and, and he is and, and Cosmic Trigger is, is as well as a series of autobiographies, the plays that the plays that his book is book Cosmic Trigger is book one. Um, and so you played Robert Anton Wilson, who, who wrote, who wrote oh. sort of like a mixture of sort of like um, fiction and nonfiction books. So yeah. what sort of insight into the like, like playing him on stage sort of. Must have given you some kind. Must have given you a unique insight into the sort of man he was and his take on and the t- and, and and the take on his work and his 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 thinking. What what? How would you just how would you, how would you describe that? Um, I'm I'm very wary in asking a question about Robert Anton Wilson about vocabulary, and I don't think I could claim any insight. Right. But I could say I got impressions, which may or may not be true. Yeah. Oh. Well, right? To say that I had insight into his character, I think might be a little bit arrogant of me. Yeah. Um, but what impressions did I get? I mean, what's, what's extraordinary about him, and John Higgs has kind of anticipated this, I think, is that his thinking is it's coming round, do you know what I mean? So about, after, yeah. about 10 years after his death, people have started to be aware his ideas are being disseminated, and I think that will continue to grow. So his idea of... It's not scepticism, is it? It's kind of intellectual agnosticism yeah um of, of detaching yourself from judgment the idea of belief being you know a, a ridiculous thing yeah that that's very much coming of age i think so i felt that it was very you know it was a very timely thing and what's interesting reading his books is that you go what what is he writing i mean mostly they're not fiction there is some fiction but it's mostly not fiction yeah i mean is it but could you call it philosophy again we're, we're back to firm and content right yeah 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 what, what does Robert Anton Wilson write? Yes, people say this to me. You know, this book. Like, well, what is what kind of book is Cosmic Trigger? Damned if I know. <laughs> what kind of book is it? I mean, yeah, it's got elements of, of philosophy and spirit and theology and conspiracy theories and and memoir, as you said, yeah. family memoir. And that was one of the amazing things I thought that Daisy did with her three act structure was sort of isolate different aspects. So yeah. the first act was like this kind of psychedelic, me- very much kind of memoir, you know, slice of history. The middle act, m- really kind of wild, psychedelic, impressionistic, out there ideas. Yeah. And then the third act is basically Ibsen. Yeah. People aren't expecting and it kind of gets you in the gut. And that was, so, but that's all in there. That's all in his books. And she selected that stuff and distilled it down. But what kind of books does he write? It's really, it's really hard to say. Yeah. what they are you know yeah 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 um so that's i think that's kind of really interesting and i would just say generally that he has helped me clarify my thinking yeah which means you know not being more sure let's be clear about that yeah but being being clearer that one isn't sure yes and and yeah yeah 
and like and I think it's like 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 you're saying sort of like he like you know that sort of was happening sort of ten years after his death and here we are a few more years yeah. that, that down the line still. And I think, you know, even since since that you know the the play happened for the for the first for the first time, you know, whenever that was about seven years ago now. Yeah. I think we've gone we've we've gone through we're we're coming to a period where the complexity of beliefs, where the complexity of belief systems, especially yeah. like, you know, around authoritarianism, around control, um and and all of that, I think I think they're really they're, they're really rising to the surface now. And like, you know, and and there's a the the there seems to be sort of like a to some extent, to, to, to some extent, or people, there, there seems to be current trying trying to convince us that we are divided on the grounds of the complexity of these belief systems, and that, yeah, right. and, and you know, and 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 that um, and that we have to pick sides, and that like you know, and 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 and, and so I so I think sort of like that element that element of Robert Anton Wilson's sort of sort of teaching and thinking. Of being very wary of your belief systems, not falling for your own BS, not falling for anybody yeah, else's yeah. BS, is really like like is really ahead of its time. Was really ahead of its time because it's it because it's absolutely it's, it's more important. It's more important now than it probably ever has been since he put pen to paper. Oh, completely. Started to you look at everyone like shouting out now about you know the important thing, and I agree with this. To like for the, for ourselves and for the generations to come is that we have to get up to speed with teaching them digital literacy, which which is basically another way of saying critical thinking for our generation is how to view and process without just absorbing information. Monbiot was very good on this on Double Down recently. He was talking right. about I think Finland are apparently the world leaders yeah. in uh, te teaching, actually formally educating children in digital literacy. Yeah, where do you get your information from? Who makes it? How do you select it? Etc. So just those very simple tools. Yeah, and we've stopped teaching that. But as you say, Wilson is way ahead of the curve on that. Think seeing the growth of fake news, alternative views, the the strategies of 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 controlling our information channel. He's way ahead of us on that. Yeah, yeah, and how, and 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 how how their messages, how their beliefs, when when they start yeah. to get a bit, I suppose extreme, if you like, be, be, become destabilizing, and then like like they dis, you know, you know, like they, they destabilize your thought process, they destabilize your sense of reality, and there's a and it, and it, and it puts a it. It puts you if you're not very careful, if you don't have a good map or if you don't have a good guide, you know, it puts you in quite a vulnerable position. And if your map is yeah. if your map isn't a good if your map or guide isn't so good, you know, you might you you, you know, like the you might come out of this sort of like believing belie believing things like Stone Cold Paranoid was what how he phrased it, wasn't it? You know, you come out or one of the ways yeah. he phrased it, you come out with Stone Cold Paranoid and and it's very and and like you like like you were saying, using that example of um of of, of Sweden, like, you know, being very aware of who's composing Finland, Finland sorry, Finland. Finland, who's composing these messages. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The important, the import, the importance, the importance behind it, and just, just being very, you know, very, 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 very wary of what we're believing, and very, very wary of what we're preaching. You know, that, it, and like, connection isn't about 
like meaningful connection, meaningful cooperation, meaningful coexistence with all these wonderful, beautiful humans that populate the planet isn't about yeah. the, the coercion of all people to one unifying belief system. There isn't a one-size-fits-all morality, you know? No, but I guess the, the, the problem for a lot of people, and this is the reason artists are, or those who practice art, I think we're all artists underneath it all, but those who have chosen to practice art in some way are kind of better suited to cope with it because we admit chaos into our lives. Yeah. You know, we admit chaos and we admit grey areas into our lives. Yeah. Whereas, you know, for a century or more, I mean, at least a century, there's, there's been a choice that lots of people have made between freedom and security. Yeah. You know? Um, and so if you choose freedom, less security, blah, 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 the other way around. Whereas now the people who want to choose security, it's getting harder and harder to do that because where do you find it? Yeah. Where do you locate your security in an uncertain world, even before COVID? You know, with the, with the politics and the swing to the right and the information streams, what is certain, right? So you lock yourself into a tunnel where, you, as far as your perception is concerned, your reality tunnel, that is certain. Yeah. You know, that's become much more concrete because I think it's harder to find certainty because <laughs> as more and more people are realising our, our natural state uh, is uncertainty. This is also why conspiracy theories are so reassuring. For people because they make us think there's order in the world rather than accepting but then i i, I would maybe slip into belief here uh-huh. rather than right exactly rather than viewing it as saying everything is uncertain the natural state of mankind is chaos and in flux and that's what we've got to deal with conspiracy theory helps you put that to one side and go no 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 it's clear this is the reality putin's controlling it or world <laughs> bank is controlling it or yeah. whatever it is because it gives you meaning. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, do. I know yeah, exactly. It's much harder to escape that. My, my, my mind is kind of, my mind is going, wow, yeah, no, I think that's, I, I, think that, I do know what you mean. I think that's a very beautiful way of putting it, yeah. Um, but, you know, very, 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 very insightful. My mind's just going, just giving it, wow, listen to all of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, so if that's, if that, those, these, if these are the kind of impressions <laughs> that you've got from sort of like, a, I don't know, playing Robert Anton Wilson on stage or yeah. submersing yourself in these challenging, these challenging art forms, then um, I can see, I can see why, um, why it's why it's, appe- why it's appealed to you. <laughs> but then, then I re- then I recorded all three volumes, right? Yeah, no. So then I sat in a then I sat in a bunker in Birmingham. We did number one, and then when that was picked up reasonably well, we then recorded parts two and three back to back. Right. So days on end, sat in a concrete bunker in the middle of Birmingham, just me and Robert Anton Wilson's words and a sound engineer in the next room. Yeah. And there were moments you go, whoa, 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 whoa! I got to time out. You know, I've got to think about this. Yeah. You know, because some of it you go, uh, yeah, this is stretching my brain. So that was that was after the play. That was another kind of intense immersion in, in his his world, his mind, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I've seen that you'd done that. The, the, um, that there was an audible version with, with you doing the voiceover for the for, for, for the second book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the first and second are available. I think the third is recorded, but it's being edited and it'll be released. I don't know at yeah. some point. Yeah, well, the, yeah, they stagger in these things as well as is, is usually. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the way it goes, and so yeah, I mean, like all, all, all that's all, all that's all that's pretty, you know, all that's 
pretty amazing and, and, and pretty pretty inspiring um and it's 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 kind of it's you know i'm kind of I'm, my mind's kind of left le- left here <laughs> we're floating floating kind yeah. Of now. yeah 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 and there's and um and 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 so with with you know what with all that mind sort of, sort of thing like what is it you're setting your sights on next then what 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 is going to be the next big ambitious project have you got any are you working on anything at the moment yeah the, the big ambitious one apart from you know just getting through things yeah is is eluding me at the moment because like a lot of artists actors and so on yeah i came into this i came into february march with lots of stuff lined up there was this uh, this one man hg wells play uh, wells and ziggy that john had written and daisy was directing and uh, uh, Tim Arnold was working on the songs and so on, and that that went up in smoke and something else. And there was another big outdoor slung low show for next year up in Scotland, but that's also gone by the way. So that's all gone. So back to square one. Um, what my main one of my main concerns at the moment is down here in Folkestone. I work for a charity called Living Words, which specialises in work with people with late stages dementia. Yeah. Um, so I had been in the past going into homes with them and now we're going to do a new project on the phone with people Um, and that sort of fascinates me also because we'll generate work from that going back to the idea of you know what can we make that's that's useful uh, and interesting to people out there Um, hopefully next year there'll be a verbatim piece about the carers the patients or the people with dementia and their family members about the experience, A, of having late stages dementia and B, of dealing with it during the COVID period. Yeah. So so that's the, something I'm very concretely uh, focusing on. Um, apart from that, it's mainly teaching and seeing when the fog lifts what my people I collaborate with, like Daisy or Alan at Slunglow, what, what the next projects are, because it's very, very hard to, to tell at the yeah. moment. So at the moment, I'm staying local. Yeah, at the moment, uh, uh, te- teaching at drama schools in London that starts again next term, and a bit of teaching online in acting and stuff. I did some teaching for Slunglows Community College. Uh, so yeah, there isn't uh, apart from the dementia thing, there isn't a big project. Yeah, as you say that's taking up a massive amount of focus. It's more to do with restructuring the world and seeing what's next. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that's that's just the arts world in general. This sort of limbo, this, this this sort of limbo that's almost been a year long. This sort of like side sideward swipe and and so you know, there's so and it will be and it it will it will continue. You know, absolutely. The 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 theatres, you know, I reckon maybe maybe let's be optimistically by April or May of next year. I think we might have an idea of what's next, yeah. whatever that is. I'm not going to say what it is, yeah. but if we get the winter into spring and we see what's happening, because another thing people haven't fully accepted yet, I think, is that even when we have a vaccine, that doesn't that doesn't just put a lid on it. You don't just vaccinate everyone and then everything's fine. It doesn't work yeah. that way. There's still a period after that as you get used to it and you get used to hybrids and new strains and da 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 da. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that you know, the live art area is is going to be a, f- a lot more online one and two person shows this will be a lot big casts will be very very difficult yeah you know quick new writing but that will lead to a lot of invention as ever the the young ones the 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 men and women in their 20s and 30s have done amazing over this summer creating new companies new initiatives new stuff that we hadn't thought of 
you know that's been incredible and that that will carry on i've no doubt yeah yeah uh, so that's that's exciting to hear about yeah um <laughs> and as it, i mean like it's even for me right it's been an opportunity to start my podcast you know which was an an, yeah. idea, an, an idea that had been incubating for a couple of years and I, I, I tried to launch it once before and then like it, it it wasn't possible to do but it was like um it was it, it was the freedom in time that not having to yeah. com- not like you know it wasn't unusual for me to spend three hours a three hours a day or more like like during the working week like commuting and then all of a sudden i've got that yeah. that, that that times that times back in my life now and it was like oh, like i see it i see a chance here to do to finally do this this yeah this, that, this idea that's that's itched away, itched away, itched away in my mind. I can find. I can <laughs> Where find are you now, then, Jamie? Where do you live? So I live in the cold of. I live in the cold of Valley near Hebden Bridge. I live in a town, the next town up the valley called Todmorden. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, we look. You know, I love it out here. Um, there was, you know, there was a time when living in inner city Leeds was great and fantastic and suited me. But as I got older, like, um, yeah, I, I definitely, I def- I'm definitely happy with you know my mm. my my more rural surroundings and I, and like you know and it's been it's been like especially during the du- during the coronavirus and like one one of the things i did just just this week one of my self-care things i, did, I went for a sunrise walk and there's this area there's this sort of like natural beauty area on the hill above my house it's called the bride stones these sort of mm-hmm. like this sort of these strange formations of sort of like free odd sort of looking free freestanding stones. So so I, yeah. I, I got up, I got up nice and early and just went for a little sun a little sunrise walk up there. Love it. And like and it it, it it did rain all day the day I went there, but the the sunrise was absolutely gorgeous. Like the clouds didn't right. come in, and so like I got I got treated to this great this this great natural natural spectacle. And 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 it was a moment for me. You were talking about how, like, in the warp, you had to just be. For me, like, like the reason why it ended up being such a great bit of self care yeah. was just was just was just wa- walking through this area that's that's already pretty pretty beautiful. While the sun, mm. while this was this absolutely stunning sunrise, was just, like I like I like you know, the roles that I choose, you know. You know, being a dad, being a being a lover, being a podcast host, right? You know, they're my choices, but like I got the chance to slip them off and just and and, uh, like, yeah. and, I, and I was just yeah. there, and it was just wonderful. And then I turned, then I sort of like turned around, and like just a, just the cherry on the top was this. There was this just this amazing, beautiful rainbow arc emanating from wow. the valley, like just up oh, into the sky, and I was just like. It's like this is <laughs> this is this is the best thing I've done all week, <laughs> and you, you know, and it, you know, and it, it, there's something there's something about there's something about that time of the day. There's something about being present to the energy of sort of like the land waking up. That that, yeah. that that like that is kind of that is kind of psychedelic, but without having to imbibe any sort of substance or chemical <coughs> or, or chemical or any any anything like that. Yeah. And, that, and, yeah, and 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 that once like, and it's just one of the it's like like where I live, it's 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 natural, it's naturally beautiful, and it's just what it's one like even now, you know, like in, in comparison, like I, you know, I lived it, 
I lived in an area of Leeds that was predominantly sort of back-to-back housing. And so, like, you know, it was very, very urban, very brick. You know, like, I looked, you'd look out the window at just, like, a street of houses. It was just, mm. like, the, the same. But now, to sort of, like, have a horizon that's defined by forests and um, and dramatic hillscapes and, 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 and to be part of, a, you know, part of, a be- part of a beautiful town, like... A, like um, I'm at that. I'm at a point in in my life now. You know, I still I still respect it. I still admire it. Say, like, oh, this, you know, it 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 it's a balm. Like you know, it's a, for for me. You know, it 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 feels it it feels it feels a lot nicer. Um, so yeah, so I so I live in the Calder Valley, and I'm all about my little um, <laughs> my little rural my little rural community. That's lovely, and it's it's good. Very... Yeah, and it's good because like you know, there's 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 you know, one of the nice things about this area as well, you know, is is the you know there's there's great little cultural centres. There's the Hebden Bridge Trades Club. There's like a little there's a, there's a, there's a little theatre in Hebden Bridge. We have the Hippodrome here in Todmorden, and um, we have a we have a venue called the Golden Lion that does the that's an amazing sort of community place and pub and it all, also in different times. You know, they they have great they you know they have great parties there and that kind of thing. And I have an ambition actually, you know. When well, like um, I I want to do something in our local little hippodrome theatre, you know, some kind of live podcasting sort of like um, you know, journey to new like join up with the journey to utopia team, yeah, do, yeah. Do, doing them kind of events like bring bringing them to Todmorden, and I kind of like and 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 in a way I kind of think about Ken Campbell and his road show and how he used to go around doing these sketch shows in sort of like sort of theatres yeah. in towns like that, sort of trying to like in in. You know, not trying to recreate that, but like a sort of like a modern concept of that of that kind of thing. Yeah. Trying, trying to, trying to get sort of like a an an interesting an interesting show in these in in these in these small local theaters that will that will that will attract a crowd and to deliver some kind of wow to their life. That's where uh, that's that's where have I'm you watched the, Have you watched the wonderful old seventies documentary on YouTube about the road show? I haven't. I've watched some. I've seen some sketches on YouTube here and there, but I'm not seeing the doc. There's a whole documentary. It's wonderful, and you can see how grim and grey and crikey, it's like it could be in Poland. It's 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 wonderful. But you also see them performing, and you see the locals and the ladies out of the market and the council leaders and all yeah. that sort of stuff. It's uh, it's really wonderful coming out of Nottingham and that sort of area, going around the place. Yeah, that's amazing. I, you made me think. Probably, that I've I've never been to Hebden Bridge. I'm slightly uh, ashamed of that. I should have done, <laughs> given my history. Um, and the School of Night should come and do a gig there. Really, you know, the School of Night is this sort of bardic, so literary, extemporising, channeling Shakespeare and Milton and Chaucer and all that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, out of the ether. This was this was the other thing that came out of our work with with Ken was the idea of this esoteric improvisation group that could improvise in any form. That was the idea. Yeah. Um, we we veered latterly more towards literature of any kind. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Pam Ayres, Dr. Seuss, or Tolstoy. Depends. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, oh, um, well, when we, because we, you know, we have, normally there's an annual literature festival in the valley. So, like, um, I might tap, right. I might tap you on the tap you on the shoulder. That might be, you know, not oh, only no. will not only will you be able to um, pop your Hebden Bridge cherry, but will be, you know, I think what you're describing would fit quite um, quite neatly into um, in, into one of the events. That, that... Yes, because we came. There was a Yorkshire festival there, but I, I probably couldn't remember the name. There's a, there's a festival in one of somewhere nearby. Uh, 
I'll, I'll, I'll let you know another time. We've been up there a couple of times and done little little. Does Bradford, Ilkley, places like that have like literature festivals? I'm saying green. I, I can't. I can't uh, remember. Right, I can't yeah. remember. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you another time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, right then, Oliver. Thank you very much for um, coming coming on the podcast and sharing with us sort of um, some of your your tales and insights from your uh, and, and impressions even from your um, you know from your illustrious and interesting career. Um, and I'm very grateful that you would find an hour find an hour of t- an hour of your time to come and uh, chat with me. If people have been listening to our conversation and they want to find you, is there a way they can do that? Um, the easiest way to contact me is through my website, which is just olivercenton.com. Yeah. Um, you might be interested also, uh, Living Words had some short films on the BBC, Living Warriors, which was about survivors of suicide, uh, which are rather good. They've been edited into a little five-minute piece and um and and i suppose the um the robert anton wilson stuff volumes one two are on audible and volume three will be available soon um but that's yeah that's the main things all right brilliant thank you for that Oliver. i'll i'll make sure that thank you, man. i'll put the links in the show notes so anyone who's listening is kind right. of like e- easy 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 enough for you to access right well um yeah and enjoy your weekend and thank you very much for your chat thank you jamie cheers cheers bye, bye.